Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut, welcomes you to this edition of Shi'ar Jeshub, featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Today's program is the conclusion of a sermon taken from 1 Samuel chapter 15, delivered as part of the Heavenly Authority series. When we left off, Samuel had given Saul the Lord's instructions to destroy the Amalekites. Here now is Pastor Greg. Saul takes 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. He lays in wait outside the city of the Amalekites. The Kenites, who are in that area and are somehow connected to the Amalekites, the Kenites had shown favor to the Israelites. Remember, uh, Moses' father-in-law and his descendants are called Midianites and Kenites. Saul gives them the opportunity to depart so that they're not destroyed with the Amalekites and they leave. And then Saul attacks the Amalekites and he utterly destroys all the people with the edge of the sword. But he takes Agag, the king alive. And you read in verse 9 of chapter 15, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. They only go part of the way. They keep the bounty. Anything that's good, they keep. And Agag stays alive. The men want the booty, and we'll see that Saul is afraid of the men, and the danger, just like he was back at Gilgal, the danger for those in leadership to be more fearful of men than fearful of God, and desiring more the praise of men over the praise of God. So he lets them keep their best things they find, and he keeps alive and spares Agag. Now, if you think when he does that, he's saying, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how can I, a sinner, be the one to cast the first stone? God would have answered that prayer. But then Saul would not have put everyone else to the sword, right? Why is he saving and sparing Agag? What you have here is a characteristic of power and authority, of kingships. It's common for those in power to respect another leader, even if they're of the enemy. And there starts to become a class distinction between those that are the aristocracy and those that are the peons. Forget the foot soldiers, they can die, but the king should be kept alive. There's a cronyism, there's an empathy that Saul has toward this other king. Recently, there was a, a movie about the colonial war. It was a fictitious movie, but in, in the movie, they have one of the colonial leaders meeting under a white flag, one of the British leaders, and the British leader says to him, you know, one of the things we have against you is that you're shooting at our lieutenants and our captains. Now, you know, the rules of warfare that we use, like when they fight the French, we let those foot soldiers shoot at each other, but we respect the commanders because we want to have order in the field. Well, it's not that they want to have order in the field, it's that they want to protect themselves. It's okay if the 
pawns die, but there's a cronyism between the English lieutenant and the French lieutenant. So we keep ourselves alive and we keep the aristocracy alive, but the little guy can go. Saul has an empathy towards Agag. And so he's obedient in the rest of what Samuel says about the people. He keeps Agag alive. And actually, when we think of Joshua, the book of Joshua, the one that Joshua killed of these people that committed such abominations, the first one was the king that was displayed. The king was a representative of the people. Certainly, if the foot soldier should die, are you going to spare Hitler or Ben Laden because they're a leader? They're the ones that are given the orders. They're the ones that are given the command. If you're going to put the blame upon anyone, the king should be held accountable. But those in power like to show and treat kindly those in power on the other side because they start to form a sympathy with them that's a class distinction. You start to see here the dangers of power and the dangers of the kingship. And how the founders of this country understood how power can corrupt and why they had the checks and balances they put into place. This shows that Saul can no longer be trusted as an instrument of God's will any longer. And you read that now in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. You see the heart of Samuel still, that innocent heart, even for when he was a little boy wearing his linen ephod in the temple with Eli. You know, he's talking harsh to Saul to bring him awake, but in his heart he's crying for Saul. He's weeping over Saul. Now God says he established him, right? But even though God establishes him, it doesn't take away Saul's exercising of his own free will. Saul has what? He's turned back. How? He has not performed God's commandments. Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel. This is not Mount Carmel. This is a town in the hill country of Judah. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself and has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Maybe he's going to offer some more sacrifices at Gilgal. He set up a monument for himself. We have this humble man who by the position of authority as king has been corrupted into a prideful, brazen, arrogant person. He sets up a monument to his accomplishments. How pride has come in, how power has indeed corrupted. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So he gives him nice words. You have to watch when people greet you with nice words. It could have been a, a true blessing, or it can be a cover-up for when they want to do what they want to do when they don't want you to know it. Blessed are you of the Lord. Verse 14, but Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul's given him excuses. He's lying in this whole section here. I've kept the commandment of God, and now we'll see the excuses he gives from one lie to the other. And 
We'll see now he uses religion as an excuse. He uses religion in his lie to cover over his disobedience. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, verse 15, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Why? To sacrifice the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Well, they utterly destroyed everything they didn't want, but they kept what they want, and his excuse, well, we kept it for God. This is like the Corbin in Jesus' day, where they let their parents starve, because they said, well, we've dedicated that. We would help them, but we've dedicated that to God. Lies and excuses, using the name of the Lord, their God, in vain. And notice he's using the expression to Samuel. He says, to sacrifice the Lord your God. He's identifying God as Samuel's God as opposed to his God. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. When someone is lying to you, sometimes there's a time to debate and there's a time to just say, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? So Samuel acknowledged the fact that Saul's family was a powerful family, but it didn't go to Saul's head back then. He was, back then he was young, he was fresh. He saw himself little in his own eyes. And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? That was one of the things that God found favorable about Saul. He was given the people a leader they would recognize, someone of power, someone that was a head bigger. But Saul himself saw himself little in his own eyes, and God took him and anointed him king over Israel. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Why did you keep that which should not have been kept? He should have learned the lesson of Achan and Ai, how after the walls of Jericho came down, they suffered terrible defeat at Ai because Achan kept some of the booty, the contaminated items for himself. Why did you do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, there's a contradiction right there. He hasn't destroyed Agag. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. Later on, he's going to say, I feared the people and obeyed their voice, down in verse 24. That's what it was. The people wanted the bounty. He associates with Agag, and he's afraid of the people. He fears the people. He wants to be liked by the people more than he wants to be liked by God. And he disobeys God. He's no longer that humble person he used to be. He's rather a brazen, powerful leader who's looking to use the people and please the people to stay in power. Sounds like some of the politicians we have today. You see how Gilgal, the sacrifice at Gilgal, has played a role, a moment, a, a time marker in Saul's life from Samuel's first 
sacrifice to the impatience and then now to this and what does Samuel say so Samuel said has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. I want to look at this section a little more detailed than the time permits today. So Lord willing, next time we'll pick it up. To obey is better than sacrifice. Father, we ask this morning that you would impress upon our hearts and our memories, Lord, that it's not all the busy work and the things we seek to do in religious observance that pleases you. Many times much of that is man-made, but rather obedience unto you and your word to do what you want us truly to do and not to use religion as a as a cover-up, as Cain, to try to show how good we are. Father God, kill Amalek inside of us. Take away the troublemaking nature, that sin-human nature in the flesh. And Father, give us obedient hearts unto you that we would be sincere in all that we do and that we would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please join Pastor Greg Scalzo and the Fellowship of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle for our next broadcast.